And we are back. It is, what is it, September? October. It's October. I just had a birthday. I October. It's October of 2016 still, and we are, this is behind the DM screen, you know, like we do, uh, unscripted and off the cuff, and it is three DMs talking about their games and helping each other out, and Sam was unable to join us, so we have brought back our regular guest replacement for Sam, uh, David Gibson. Welcome back. Hello. Also, Mike's over there, but nobody's over him. <laughs> Happy birthday, Jeff. Hey, thanks. Since you missed it on the day of, huh? Sorry. <laughs> I just give you a hard time. Happy belated. Yep, thank you. All right, so it is time to get started. I'm going to hit 15 minutes on the clock, and I am going first, so that works out well. Go. All right, so I am, am still playing my my post-apocalyptic fantasy Earth mashup of some original stuff with uh, Princes of the Apocalypse. Uh, what's the other one? Uh, Out of the Abyss and, and uh, the Rod of Seven Parts. And uh, so we wrapped... I think last time I, we talked, they had wrapped sort of the the out of the abyss, the first half of out of the abyss. They escaped the underdark. They had this all this uh, original stuff going on back in their home base. They went back to Red Large to to check out and and work on some of their goals over in in Dasarin again, which for us is Dasarin Island, not Dasarin um, Valley, because we have an island chain as our base of operations. Um. And from there, they have they worked their way to Feathergale Spire. They, um, I think I told you there was the the they got involved in the Manticore hunt, and one of the crazy barbarian character like jumped off of his vulture onto the back of the Manticore and rode it yeah. face first down the side of a cliff. Yeah, you have um, to do that. I think right. that's like a mandatory requirement for that. Well, he like, he was yeah. hardcore. I'm like, really? Because. Odds are, with this kind of falling damage, you're going to be dead, right? And then uh, it, that's a that's a problem six seconds from now. Well, <laughs> and then you know he he's a barbarian. He flies himself into a rage, and and they manage to to you know get it to lower itself a little ways. And so the fall damage, he he just sucked it up. That's which is why I <laughs> I, col- I colored it as he rode the thing down, right? Because otherwise, how else? How do you explain that he fell that far and didn't die? Um, in a you know in a realistic way. Uh, so all that happened, and that event, that that riding of the manticore down the side of a cliff, uh, turned into him being offered. Um, you know, they were trying to recruit him into the air cult, the cult of of what is it, Howling Hatred, the Temple of Howling Hatred. Mm-hmm. Um, and so right. that's sort of where things left off um, at that session. And then they came back uh, two weeks ago. We played. They came back and. Um, Decided. Well, hey, we want to think on it. We'll we'll get back to you. And they gave them, you know, uh, you know, we'll, we'll give you a week. And then after that, you know, you you probably know too much to just be wandering around. Um, okay, well, we'll we'll go think on it. Whatever. And so they they left the Feathergale Spire um, and sort of looped around, trying to not be not be conspicuous and make it over to the um, to the, the the entry to the actual temple in, that's in that little valley. You know what I'm talking about? Mike, you've run the adventure, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. David, have you? No. Okay, so 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 it's in a valley, and, and the spire's on one side, and the entrance to the actual underground temple is sort of the other side of the valley, So, but it's it's guarded and whatever. So they work their way over there, but they're not getting down the side of the cliff in the valley. They're not very subtle. <laughs> Uh, and the Feathergale uh, Spire folks, uh, the, what are they, the Feathergale Guard or whatever they are, mm-hmm. um, are, are kind of on the look for lookout for them anyway because um, they want to keep an eye on them. So if the time runs out, they can find them when they need to. Um, so they, they, they're not subtle getting down the side of the cliff. And uh, you know, I think some of them failed their climb checks and fell loudly down the side of the cliff. Hmm. Um, and so when they finally work their way up to the entrance to figure out what's going on and what that thing is, um, you know, then combat ensues because there's monks up there guarding it. And as, as they're fighting the monks, uh, a bunch of knights from Feathergale Spire come up the stairs behind them. And mm-hmm. so they're, they're trapped, right, between a rock and a hard place. Although that combat ended up going fairly quickly as um, 
I think was it the warlock through uh, was it Hadar's uh, hunger on him or whatever that, that creates the darkness that also does damage. Mm-hmm. So he throws this out there, the, uh, c- completely covers all of them in this this darkness that's doing ongoing damage, while another character, the sorcerer character, throws like two fireballs into the area. Right. <laughs> so they're yeah. like, well, we don't know what's going on in that darkness, but let's just leave it up while we take care of the monks. They finish off the monks, they drop the darkness, and everybody there is already charred and dead. Right. The, the two fireballs plus the other spell easily took care of them all. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they figure out because I put in, at my, Mike's suggestion, I put in the, the, the level lock. Right. Um, and that they have to either have, uh, the way I'm playing it is that you either have to have two of the, the keys or the medallions, mm-hmm. the symbols or whatever, um, of the same element, or you have to have one of all four. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, so they have one from Earth, um, they, and they got one from air out of the people that they charred, um, because the leader was there. Uh, but they don't, And so they figured out that they could put them in in succession and get a little further, but they still don't have enough to go, and then, so obviously now they're clued in, okay, well, we've got to go find the other and get their keys too. Mm-hmm. Um, so from there, they headed down to um, what is the the crappy town? Which which uh, the Wamford? Is it something oh like yeah, that? yeah, right, yeah. right. So they, on, they the, head, on the river, they head down that on the river to to try to figure out if they can find the the water people. And they actually uh, had a random encounter or whatever, and ran into some some water reavers or whatever on the river, and um, you know ambushed them and you know tried to get some information out of them, and and largely didn't handle it well and ended up slaughtering a bunch of people. So now they, they're they building a reputation as law enforcement that runs around, you know, shoot first and ask questions later kind of thing, which brings up some interesting and, and awkward conversations around the table given that we live in North Carolina and, and the way law enforcement <laughs> has been perceived there recently. Um, Topical. Right, absolutely. And so they wander into Womford and, and everybody's like, yeah, we're just going to stay away from you. You We'll give you a wide berth, right? And so they, they get a cold, pretty cold shoulder, but eventually they figure out um, what's going on in Wamford, and they meet the pirate guy and um, the what was he, a water genasi pirate guy who's working for the water cult and they see the map on the wall and they figure out where they need to go and the water guy jumps through the window and tries to escape but one of the characters was holding back by the river and they chase him down and, and tackle him before he can get to the river and, and swim away and so um, he's basically just working for the water cult out of a sense of profit mostly mm-hmm. um, so he's like hey if it means saving my life, I will take you there myself. So uh, they are currently on a, a barge headed up the river, but, you know, almost back exactly to where they started when they went down the river. Uh, so they're back headed back up the river to the water cult with him in tow. And I'm kind of thinking that when they get there, um, he's going to – at the first chance, he's probably going to betray them because he's not like they're paying him, right? So he still has an incentive to, to help out the water cult. So – Mm-hmm. You know, he'll help them out until they get into the middle of a fight, and then he'll stab them in the back. I did skip mm-hmm. over that they went back and visited the Lich. Um, was it Rinwick? Is that his name? No, yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. that. Uh, so they went back to visit the Lich because they were trying to, to broker a, a peace between the Lich and the, the Paladins. Um, and th- they discovered that that did not go so well when they showed up to the Sacred Stone Monastery where the Lich is hanging out and found a... a um, a circle or uh, an alleyway or whatever of um, of heads on pikes of paladins <laughs> on the way in. So uh, I've decided that the lich did not manage to uh, get that piece with the paladins because he's basically like, you're going to give me my brother's body or there is no piece. And that didn't go very well. And now, I'm, mm. you know, there's not much left of the, the paladins of Summit Hall. Hmm. So that's kind of what happened in my last session. Uh, I'm kind of starting to think now, like, they, they kind of know what they're doing, and it's just sort of a, a Chase the MacGuffin game at this point. Got to get to the Water mm-hmm. Temple, got to get to the Fire, what are they, Druids or whatever, um, mm-hmm. and get the other that one's Yeah, that one's a fun one. Yeah. I have an article about the Fire one. Oh, right on. And, uh, did we already talk about watching um, uh, The Wicker Man? I don't know. Yeah, Maybe. You need, you need to watch The Wicker Man before you do the Fire yeah. section. Kind of, yeah, that's a remake. It's certainly some inspiration there. Right? The, the old, the old Wicker Man. Okay, so so yeah. Anyway, so so I think that's going to be pretty easy. I'm starting to think further ahead now. Um, 
Well, I'm trying to layer in, of course, every session I plan, like, what can I start layering in from other storylines, even if they're not the, the primary storyline for this session? Um, and so the, there's always little things that happen that I'm trying to at least keep those storylines in your mind, if not advance them a little bit. Which is a little mm-hmm. tricky with, like, they're out of seven parts, because you advance that storyline by finding the other parts. And if they're not actively going near them, um, then they're not going to do that quite yet. Um, but that's fine. That that one's a long-term story anyway, so I'm not too worried about that. And I keep throwing, um, um, what are they called, spider fiends or whatever after them, which are the, ba- the, the sort of mook bad guys from that storyline. So, uh, so yeah, so all of that's been going on. Um, I, and I feel pretty good about where they're going in the whole um, Princes of the Apocalypse story. Uh, I'm pretty sure they'll end up with all four keys. They'll go back to the Sacred Stone Monastery, and they're gonna go, and then they're trying to go down and get the the rest of the Dwarven delegation. That's kind of their their primary goal right now. From there, I can figure out how to layer in the rest of it. Um, you know, I'm sure they'll abandon it at that point and go on to something else. And that'll be kind of, I think, especially level wise, will be just about the perfect time for me to throw in the Council at Gontelgrim for the Out of the Abyss storyline. Um, so, what level are they? Uh, I think they're six now okay and how long do you plan on going to 20 i think it'll be it'll okay. be it'll be 18, the whole thing it'll be 18 to 20 i think before they go on to because um when they get to the what the, the other two adventures prince of the apocalypse and out of the abyss kind of run through 15 mm-hmm. um and then the the rod of seven parts ends with like going into a a a protected, you know, plane and taking out a god, right? Uh, the 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 story of, the, of Miska the Wolf Spider, who is the big bad guy, right? Is that he's he's sort of the classic um, evil, so great and and so chaotic that all the gods, good and good and evil, along, uh, work together to to entrap this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's that's how it ends. Is you you go into the place where they entrapped it. You manage to find a way to to break it open using the seven rod of seven parts, and then use the rod to kill Miska the Wolf Spider. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like that's pretty high level, mm-hmm. <laughs> at least mm-hmm. a high level goal. Uh, my my concern, my more immediate concern at this point is if I'm down the road setting up Gontelgrim. Uh, the the council at Gontelgrim leading to diving down and taking on the demon lords for Out of the Abyss. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't done a very good job of introducing like any of the factions. I like the idea of the factions. Uh, I like what they add to the game. Um, if anything, I've I I maybe have um, like the Lords Alliance pretty, or at least an analogy to the Lords Alliance pretty well established because because they're part of uh, this paramilitary organization of that's a loosely aligned group of of kingdoms right so that kind of matches the the lord's alliance concept i'm trying to figure out how do i start um layering in in the next few sessions um some of the other factions to make them a thing as well like the zinnerim are pretty easy i'm not Mm -hmm. sure i'm not sure how to do the harpers um or or the others though Mm -hmm. so that's Mm -hmm. that's my my first question do you do you do you need to I mean, um, I like them. I, I yeah, like. I, mean, I, I like them, and I like the way that it plays out in the at the council. But it, it's not necessary, I suppose. I mean, the council could also just be other, other kingdoms or countries or whatever coming together. Are your players well versed in them? No, 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 no. I don't think. I mean, they know a little bit about Harper's just from previous campaigns in the realms. But right, you know, I've also just taken realm like. Menzo Baranzan and Gontelgrim and all those locations. I'm not changing names of almost anything, especially the right. other dark places. It's all just the same. I can't remember. So I, I never really got into Out of the Abyss after the midpoint. So I never did the the Council of Gontelgrim. Mm. Um, is Brunor part of it? Yeah. Well, is he part of the factions? Yeah. Uh, I don't think he's a member of a faction. Although they might be. Um, Gontelgrim might be technically members of the Lord's Alliance. That's what I was wondering. And, 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 and you, it, I guess in your world, yeah. You know, in my how, world, how big are you? Are for how big are you on forking your world? I, I it's no, I don't care about. It's my world. I blew it up once, right? Yeah. So you could you could have him be part of a faction if you wanted to. Sure. He could be the head of the Harpers, or yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Oh yeah. Alternatively. Although the Gontelgrim has – like this whole thing started and the reason they're hunting this Dwarven delegation is because Gontelgrim has, has sort of been setting up an alliance with their 
home kingdoms. Um, so it would kind of make sense for him to, to be with the Lord's Alliance, i.e. The, the rest of them as well. Um, and that would work out fairly well. Or a, a loose member, yeah. right? Like, yeah. grumble. Right, exactly. Um, you, you could also have different factions in the Lord's Alliance, like just kind of like sub-factions. Mm. Like it's kind of divided into like, uh, uh, there's the, the regular cops in internal affairs. You have like the regular Lord's Alliance and then the, the Harpers is a mm-hmm. subset of it. They're just kind of a, That's true. even just politically. Play. Yeah. And I suppose uh, the Emerald Enclave would fit into the Fire Temple pretty well too, right? Because it's a bunch of yeah. Birds. So I was gonna say you you have plenty of time right now to start introducing them. Yeah, um, that's what I was thinking. So I was just trying to come up with even, ideas to do it. Yeah, you could even have NPCs that say, "Hey, by the way, turns out I'm actually part of this faction." You know, like, um, mm. you know that that especially Harpers aren't going to make it very clear that they're Harpers early on. Same with Zentarim. Right. Um, you know, and, and in ones. my mind, they've actually already had encounters with Zinterim. They just didn't know it. <laughs> they just didn't know it, right? right? So, you know, that might be an opportunity. Right. And the delegation is a perfect yeah. chance to introduce someone who's a yeah, uh, yeah. The delegation is perfect, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I was well. Yeah, I was hoping to have them at least know who these factions were prior to the delegation starting, uh, the council starting, right? Um, yeah. But, right, but, right. But you know, yeah. And I got lots of time. They've still got two major dungeon crawls to get through. I guess the fires are not really a dungeon crawl, but the, two major story points to get through, mm-hmm. plus going deeper into the, the Earth Temple to go after the delegation. So I think um, I've got plenty of time to introduce some things. Right. But it's going right. to be much harder to introduce things once they're in the dungeon, you know, <laughs> because there's not a lot of, like, it's, they don't care as much about interacting with people, and you're not going to meet a lot of different factions in the dungeon, mm-hmm. right? They're all going to be in one faction, the temple. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. You could they could find a dead body with like a Harper pin on he it. Could yeah, that'd, could be, that'd the, be all right. The pin. Yeah. What's this pin mean? And then mm-hmm. later on, it's like you know, and other prisoners in the, de- yeah. the in the, where they find the delegation and that kind of stuff could be members of, of other de- uh, other people. And I have a really lawful, uh, very good aligned party, uh, but I but then I've got one um, was he a wild sorcerer, wild magic sorcerer who who's chaotic. Um, Mm-hmm. So I always play with him a little bit, and, and the Harpers could definitely approach him and be like, "Hey, you really believe in all this stuff, this law and order stuff? Maybe we should think of another way, you know, <laughs> loosen the grip a little bit." Right. So, um, I had one other question, although we're a little bit over time. I'm getting ready to restart the gaming club at school. I finally have enough kids signed up that to do it, and I'm, I haven't been advertising because it was way too big last year. Um, so I'm trying to keep it like. I want to be able to run one table every week instead of two tables every other week because mm-hmm. we we ended up having a total of four tables running uh, last year. Uh, and I think I'm doing okay in terms of size there. And I was trying to figure out what I want to run with them um, mm. because with an hour, hour and a half of play every every week, sometimes every other week, um, you know, broken up for early releases or holidays or whatever um, – and being middle school kids, you know, who get easily distracted and we are lucky sometimes to get through one encounter or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't want to go too big, but I want to have the option of being like one group. We played through the first part of the Freeport um, trilogy, original Freeport trilogy uh, last year, and they finished it early enough that there was still like a month or two left. And so I'm like, uh, let's go on to the next adventure and I'll just do a really, really abbreviated version of that. So anyway, I was just trying to think, who's got uh, adventure ideas that you think would, would fit in well to that scenario? Well, um, so how does it work? You you run the games or they run their own? If we only have one table, then then my plan is that I'll run the game. Because when I'm not running the game, it sometimes devolves into, we're just going to have a, a big arena fight and we're not really right. playing anymore. <laughs> Which is fine, they're having fun. But right. I, want the, uh, I want people to have that experience. So I really enjoyed running uh, the Crystal Shard adventure. Um, okay. Legacy of the Crystal Shard. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know how well that scales for the kids and all that. I'm not, you know, that's hard. But you know, it's it's doable. Um, Murder of Baldur's Gate probably not so much. Uh, I was thinking Horde of the Dragon Queen. The problem is if you get to that, I mean, you could run the first part of Horde of the Dragon Queen. You know, there's some parts I'm not crazy about, and right. they might not be crazy about it either. Like, hey, look, you here's a dragon you can't fight. Yeah, I even thought about. Um... I even thought about pulling out, um, what is it? 
the oh the uh, uh, Strahd and and doing that because you can abbreviate Strahd fairly yeah. easily. It's sandboxing enough that I could just skip some parts, but I didn't know if I wanted to do the weird horror thing with a bunch of. I kids was going to say like, you know, hey, here's the hag that eats children. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, it's, it's any of the old uh, encounters material. would have worked. Some, yeah, I could I could just pull out uh, you know I don't hop. know if any of those are in the DMs guild because those were designed for an hour. Yeah, I could hop on on uh, DMs guild and just start downloading encounters and run a different one every week and it's do true. it in succession. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. some I mean, of those they were all tied, tied, tied together. Ever... Yeah, but I think you could you could you know I think the later ones I think work would work pretty well and be pretty easy to reskin. Okay. Yeah, and just the quick update uh, from. Yeah. Yeah. I need to talk yeah. to almost to, faster. I need to talk to James about it. I think he interviewed somebody like several months back who who was publishing, maybe even at that point, kickstarting a, a a series of adventures specifically aimed towards kids, and that might be mm-hmm. ideal if I could figure out what the heck it was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, my time is well over. Uh, and so we'll take a quick break and talk about our sponsor, NobleKnight.com. Uh, and you know what? Since Mike just brought it up, I'm going to make uh, the Legacy of the Crystal Shard adventure my our pick of the episode. Mm. Uh, don't go buy the last the last one in stock because I might need to buy it myself. But uh, <laughs> it is available for fifteen dollars on Noble Knight, out of print, uh, published in 2013. Was that one of the um, was that one of the ones that was for the playtest, the five E playtest? Yeah, so it was a it was a published adventure during the D and D next playtest, mm-hmm. uh, which frankly makes it a little challenging because you have to sort of reskin some of the stuff. Sure. Um, so the the one that they're selling is fifteen bucks. That's for a u. That's for an actual physical copy. For a physical copy. It's a good price because the digital one costs fifteen bucks. Yeah. No. They they say they normally retail it for thirty five, thirty six bucks. Um, and and they're selling it right now for fifteen, and in what yep. they say is excellent condition, uh, and it looks like it has the the setting book, the sixty four page setting book, the thirty two page adventure book, and the four panel deluxe DM screen. So that's not mm-hmm. a bad deal. Yeah, that's a great deal, and it's a it's a really. I mean, I I I, I like it. I used it for a short campaign. Um, I love the material it's got, and it wasn't terrible to reskin it. But you're kind of you know you're you're sort of on your own for building encounters. Sure. Because yeah, right. the, the, the next stuff was not the same as what came out. Right. right. Well, that's that's awesome because there it is and it's cheap and it's what we were just talking about. And people should check it out over at noblenight.com and let them know that the Tome Show sent you. Ah! Hey, it's me, Snark! I don't really like Noble Knights that much, but noblenight.com is okay by me. You know why? They got tons of products for me where I can just be hiding in dungeons and stuff like that. Also, it's it's really, really cool. I get to find all these bestiaries that I can fill my dungeon with and all kinds of goblin miniatures. So check out Noble Knight. They'll even buy old gaming products that you aren't using anymore, and they're awesome. NobleKnight.com. Make sure you tell them the Tome Show sent you. All right, so we are now chatting with uh, Mike. Gets to talk about his game. So let me put my fifteen minutes on the clock. Ready? All right, sure. So I'm I am closing in on the end of. Uh, oh, my wife is there and she doesn't have headphones on, so I have to be careful about what I say. Um, the uh, I'm closing in on the end of um, Curse of Strahd for two groups. Uh, both groups are in the castle. Both groups have fought Strahd at least once. One group has fought Strahd twice. Um, they, uh, I think both groups lost Irina. Uh, one of them sort of never had her, and, and Strahd ended up just going and grabbing her. And the other one, mm-hmm. uh, during a fight, Strahd grabbed her and teleported away with her. Uh, and I'm, having, I'm doing some kind of interesting stuff with that. Um, the, what I'm, the, I think the, the most interesting thing about this is more so than any I, I guess maybe Tiamat um, having a boss and fighting a boss is really challenging and Strahd in particular the way that the game is organized has made it really hard in my opinion to build a fun challenging Strahd encounter that doesn't swing completely one way or the other uh, the the example I'll give is that uh, the magic items that are given out during the game um, uh, are are designed to just completely screw over vampires. 
Uh, so two of the items do like sunlight and a 30 foot radius. Uh, one of them does protection from evil for the entire, you know, for you and all your friends within 30 feet. And all of that gives disadvantage to vampires, right? Mm. Like any, any vampire that's attacking you is attacking at disadvantage, including Strahd. And if they're in sunlight, they're taking 20 points of radiant damage at the beginning of their turn. So just by being there, you're inflicting 20 points of damage. Uh, and radiant damage against vampires means they can't regenerate. So they, they, they lose even more total hit points. Um, so really, uh, you know, any group that's worth their salt that's going to be fighting Strahd and or uh, other additional vampires that have these items are going to have a much easier time beating them. Um, but the whole adventure is built around this idea that, that you know, Strahd is really going to screw with you. And even in a fight, Strahd is really going to screw with you. Uh, so you're, you're kind of stuck with this, do I, you know, how, how do I get Strahd past the things that they've got? I mean, attacking with disadvantage for an entire battle is really detrimental. Uh, you know, taking a ton of radiant damage is really detrimental. Um, and, and I have some dirty tricks and the dirty tricks are if the area is obscured, uh, none of that works, right? Like if, mm -hmm. if area fills with fog. So in one, one case I had an entire area filled with fog and, um, it meant that, uh, the sword was diminished, right? They, in this case, a, a group had the sun sword and it meant that the sword's power did not extend. And that meant that everybody that was inside the fog all advantages and disadvantages were negated, right? This is one of the, this is one of the weird rule things about like darkness and fog and stuff like that. Is uh, they don't either give you advantage or disadvantage; they just remove any advantage or disadvantage that you might have, which is really strange. Like mm -hmm. you'd think that somebody would be at disadvantage, and it turns out if you can't see your target, you're at disadvantage. If they can't see you, they're at disadvantage. So that means everybody's even, Steven. Uh, and that, so that, that can work, particularly if you have like one Strahd fight where Strahd gets his ass kicked by whatever your powerful item is, and the next time he comes back and he's got things that can, that can deal with it. Um, but you kind of don't want to do that a lot, right? And you, you know, you're not, I'm not sure you want to do it in, the, in whatever the final fight against Strahd is going to be. Um, so, so finding a way to sort of tune a, tune a fight against Strahd so that it sort of meets that need for the, you know, f for a cool fight for the boss of the you know the entire the entire adventure. The guy who's on the cover of the book, uh, I found to be particularly difficult. Um, Story-wise, I'm having lots of fun. You know, I'm, I'm, I have lots of options for the characters. My my Wednesday group, for example, um, Irina. They are they know that I uh, that Strahd took Irina, and he has done something with her up in the tower where the crystalline heart is, right? Hmm. And and also they know that the Lich Exathanter is also in the castle because Strahd had Exathanter's uh, phylactery, which meant when Exathanter was killed in the Amber Temple, he reappeared in Castle Ravenloft and now is working for Strahd, doing something to uh, Irina. And mm -hmm. they don't know what. And I have a pretty good idea, but I'm not going to say what it is. Um, <laughs> but you can guess, maybe. Um, and uh, Strahd himself is down in the catacombs and they know he's there because they know what the fortune is and the fortune says you're going to face him in the tomb of his mother. So he's downstairs. So the group had to be like, do we want to go up to the tower and try to rescue Irina or are we going to go down to the crypt and try to kill Strahd? And they decided to go for the crypt. So like, okay, that's that's a choice with consequences. You know, and they know it. So that that's kind of cool. Um, I've had a lot of you know, I've I've kind of gone off the rails as far as what encounters they fight. When they went down into the crypts, they fought twenty four vampires at once, uh, hmm. and they they got a hold of the um, holy symbol of Ravenkind during the fight, so they could like incinerate these vampires with sunlight. And I thought that was very kind of thematic to the the, the style of the game. You mm -hmm. know, like these guys trapped in a crypt fighting twenty four vampires, and they get to incinerate them. Mm -hmm. um, one thing that my group has had a hard time with is I, I, they, they do not get a long rest in Ravenloft, right? Like I'm not, they can't just camp out for a night. Uh, a, all of the towns in in Barovia are getting attacked by hundreds of feral vampires right now because Strahd released them, and so if they wait eight hours, those towns are dead, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, but the other one is like, who the hell's ever going to let you take a nice long rest in this castle? You know, Strahd's right. not going to let. You. Yeah, the whole the whole idea of taking a rest in the Except castle, and the and the castle's designed with like certain rooms where like it's like, well, if they need to take a rest, here's a place to do it. And I'm like, that doesn't seem okay. <laughs> like yeah. I, that's always oh, yeah. bothered me. 
It's I bet a thing that like both groups have like a magic item that they can go after that they know about that if they drink from it restores them as though they have taken a long rest. Sure. So then there's like, well, we got to go get that too. You know, we got to figure out how to get that before we get Strahd again, and we're gonna get our asses kicked. Uh, but it's kind of funny the the frust you know seeing some of the frustration of the players as they're drained of their resources and now they're like, oh my god, we fought four battles and now I got to fight Strahd again and this isn't the final fight against him. <laughs> like, oh my god, this guy, right? Um, I've also found uh, balance wise, uh, it's interesting that Strahd with his normal stats in the book is a really good challenge for four players, for four PCs. Oh, yeah? The minute you add more PCs, his his challenge goes way down. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah, so I've every time that I've run it with more than four, and now I've run Strahd three times, right? And I've got at least two more. Um, every time I run Strahd uh, with more, I, I, I give him a significant bump to hit points, I give him a significant bump to the damage he does, and I usually throw more monsters at him. And I usually, if they have sunlight or protection from good or, or protection from evil or something like that i try to find some way for him to screw with that mm-hmm. um so you know that's been particularly interesting um but yeah yeah a lot of my attention a lot of a lot of my my brain power has been in this idea of like well what do players want from a boss fight and how and and given how strata is designed and given how um uh, the the items are designed that the party has. How can we give that to them? You know that's been a real mm. trick. Um, yeah. Do you, one... f- do you find that five e runs? So in, in fourth edition, I found that um, every encounter was either easy or a TPK. Um, well, do you notice that kind of normally, dynamic? Yeah, I don't normally find it that way. And if it wasn't, and it, and, a, and a good example is like last night. When they fought uh, Strahd without the sun sword, Strahd stole the sun sword from one of the guys and threw it off the uh, <laughs> threw it off the castle a thousand feet down. Except that Exathanter grabbed it on the way with a telepathic hand, okay. so he's got. It. Uh, and he's he he was going to make a deal with the PCs, but they went in a different direction. Um, without that, like not having the thing that does protection from evil and not having the sun sword, um, when you fight Strahd directly. It's a nice even fight. He's 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 hitting everybody. He's zipping around the battlefield with his crazy uh, bonus action move or his legendary action move. Uh, I didn't have him do any spell other than shield. You know, like all I had him do was shield when somebody was going to hit him really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and it you know he knocked. I mean, out of the four PCs that fought him, you know, I think he knocked at least two or three of them down regularly. Um, oh, I added one other effect, which is bats were swarming around the area too, so they're getting bitten by bats sure. while they're. You know, fighting Strahd. Um, so that one seemed like a nice, even, straightforward fight where they, you know, they weren't just completely getting their ass kicked uh, and they weren't just totally dominating him. Mm-hmm. Good. Um, yeah, so that one worked out, except that they didn't have any of the items that I'm talking about. You know, when they do, then I have to come up with some other crazy nonsense. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and, got- I mean you, and you could always do the, the the whole, like, Strahd is the land, he can totally screw over all your powers yeah. and stuff, but that takes away the whole point of going it, to get that. It them. does. <laughs> so. I mean, yeah, so my, 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 I think what I'm, what I'm going to do in, in subsequent ones is um, uh, environmental effects that limit their use of those items for the first couple of rounds. Mm. And then through their interaction with these, they can then break them and then get to use those items at the end of the battle. Right. So that way Strahd gets like two good rounds where he's hitting people and scaring people. And then, you know, the rest of the time the party gets to like explode out and burn him with sunlight and stab him with the holy blades. Yeah, although you could you could also flip that too, right? And that's harder to time. Um, yeah, but, the problem but, is they'll just kick his ass in the first round. Right, it's, it's more climactic if like they're <laughs> kicking his butt and then he turns the tide. But sure. if they're going to drop him in yeah. one round, then you, don't, you never get the yeah, chance to it, do it. It, it. Yeah, it's about where that tide is turned and about the time that they have access to their sunlight stuff is the battle will be over in like two or three turns mm-hmm. you know like they're going to do so much damage to them and they're going to have such an advantage against them that 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 will be the turn of the tide mm-hmm. you know you could you can make it something active where there's strata some sort of magical macguffin that's yeah. canceling out their powers and they have to actually yeah, take that so, out destroy the destroy the crystal skull and yeah then... yeah so i have three like that uh torches yeah. like these crazy violet torches on the wall that can actually suck light out of the room and he, they have to destroy the torches and by the time they destroy the sixth torch then the light returns 
um, that's one an old an old uh, like you know two thousand year old icon that's or uh, uh, like an idol that that spews out poison gas mm-hmm. that it, you know necrotic gas that all the vampires are immune to but they're not. Uh, and then they have to destroy this idol with, you know, arcane or, or athletics until it's, uh, and then it goes away. Uh, and the other one that I that I've tended to like is the room filling with bats so thick that they can't see anything, hmm. and um, they have to, you know, the bats essentially act like an enormous bat swarm that they have to damage until eventually the bats are thin enough that um, they can they can see see their way through. Yeah. Yeah. So those those are like my three yeah environmental effects like like that the the MacGuffin-y sort of things. Mm-hmm. I haven't I tried. Also it. Like I tried it. But I didn't really need to. I've always liked using uh, having Strahd use a, like a body double, so I get to throw some other like, cloak on some other vampire, sends that guy out to die, and then they just blow their their well, their the high trick. power spell yeah. on that vampire and Strahd. Yeah, I, I I didn't really, you know, I'm not. So one thing is like I'm not particularly good at running things like this. You know, I don't really. I'm, well, I'm just I don't have. And the that's mind the trick, right? I always Strahd has been hard for me. I've been run, I've been running him some second edition, and Strahd is always hard because he's smarter than me. You know, right, yeah, exactly. so how do I figure Strahd. out how to strategize right? Right, and and I did like I, I think I did a pretty good job of like Strahd has always been sort of involved with the party. Like they've seen him many times, and and sometimes he just shows up to watch them, you know, get beaten up and laughs at them. Other times he's like talking to them and negotiating with them. I love right. the negotiations. I've had lots of like interesting Strahd negotiations. I think that'll go all the way to the end. Um, so, uh, uh, you know, so I think, I think that can all work. Uh, I will give one trick. So when I talk about like how to make sure that the battle is challenging and fun, uh, one thing that I've never liked, I never liked it with the vampire that's in the five E book and I don't like it with Strahd is the charm that he has, um, is like a total fun sucker. Mm. Uh, you know, he charms somebody and as long as him or his enemies don't attack that person, that person stays charmed. So his best move is find a fighter that's hitting for a lot of damage, say, you know, charm him, and then say, please go stand in the corner and don't do anything. Mm-hmm. And no one can break him out of the charm, and, and he won't break out of the charm because there's no save at the end of the turn or anything like that. And they have it, abilities to let them, like, re-roll or like No, I mean, they could try to break the original save, but his save is really high. It's DC 17, and, and you know, a, a low wisdom a low wisdom fighter's going to have, like, a 2 right. or th- so it's 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 going to be really rough. Um, so instead, I've replaced that with a thing called Beguiling Gaze, which is a bonus action. And, oh, the other part of it is it's a standard action, which means Strahd can't do anything other than that. Which means if he makes his, if they make their save, or they have some other ability, like again, like protection from good or protection from evil, will prevent charm. Um, then he loses his action, and that's you know no spells, no punching people in the face, you know twice. Um, so I've given him a thing called a beguiling gaze, which is a much more straightforward, you know, vampire-y effect. Uh, that's a bonus action where he does a DC 17 wisdom save, and if they fail, his next hit against them is at advantage until they take damage. Once mm-hmm. they take damage, they're back to normal again. Really simple that you can do all the same flavor as though they're charmed. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's resolved very quickly. Could be a setup for a bite, which is sort of the could classic. A, yeah, that's the other one. Is it, it, it then it charms him enough that he could use a bite attack. Mm-hmm. And he has that bite attack at advantage, which means he's a lot more likely to get it. So it's a really, you know, in my opinion, a really nice way to have a vampire that's doing cool vampire stuff, not burning their actions on it, and doesn't totally screw the player. Because, you know... So I'd, I'd like to hear what you guys think about boss fights, particularly in 5e. Hmm. Boss fights in general are tricky unless you're doing them like a video game multi-phase boss. Where yeah. you're like, you know, you break through the armor and then have to hit the squishy middle core yeah. and step by step. Because yeah. otherwise, it's the action denial comes in. The fact that there's five PCs against, or four PCs or probably yeah. like players against the, the one villain. Right. And you don't want to be a, too much of a dick. Right, you, you can't yep. buy like you know fighter go stand in the corner. And right, then, right. You don't want to steal their actions either. I'm gonna attack mm-hmm. you while you have a long rest. Yeah, I will. I will say that legendary resistance has worked very well. Um, and the the interesting thing is like at first players just hate it, mm-hmm. right? Like I just cast banish and he just ignores it, you know. Yeah. But the the other side is now they know, so. You know, it, it you know, from that moment onward, that player is generally not going to blow a saver suck spell against the boss. They already know that it's not going to work, and that you know saves them from making a mistake and protects the boss from getting screwed by a saver suck. 
so I, I really, and it's simple, you know, my, my, my feeble mind can wrap itself around legendary resistance really well. Um, so I, I love legendary resistance as a way to keep a boss around. But now what I find is their hit points are often too low, and they're, they're getting hit for 140 points of damage. Yeah. So well, Vampires especially with their CR8 hit points. Yeah. yeah. I, I yes. find that when my bosses, I mean, I haven't had, I can't think of the last time I had, like, a major, major boss fight, right? But a lot of, the, like, the, 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 the lieutenant sort of level boss fights I've had. Uh, and and it's almost always like they show up and they've got kind of a, a small horde of of second in commands with them or whatever, um, and you know what? Sometimes they just go down in the second round. Yeah, you know? right. <laughs> and, and, and many times, especially with lieutenants or bosses that you don't really give a shit about, that's fine, right? Yeah. Like it, it's kind of fun that the boss got its ass kicked that fast. But you can't do it with Strahd. Yeah. <laughs> like well, I mean that would you know it takes an entire campaign and just says eh. But Strahd is unkillable outside of that like one location, right? right? So that's fine too. <laughs> you know? yeah. I'll give you an example in my. And I know I'm taking more time. I'll, I'll shut up. Um, but in one of the Strahd fights, and this was a mistake that I made. Um, one of the players, uh, one of the characters, pulled out a one-use magic item that had the spell Contagion on it. And they threw contagion on Strahd, and we none of us had seen contagion before, and and made the made the error that it does um, that it affects the character, it affects the target with a disease right away, mm. and the disease is uh, you have disadvantage on Constitution saving throws, and if you take any damage, you're stunned until the end of your next turn, and that meant that Strahd lost everything. Sure, right? and they beat they pretended to you know they had two rounds where he couldn't do anything, and they beat the crap out of him. And afterward, and then what we found out afterwards is actually the contagion doesn't take place for three rounds. Uh, you know, you don't you don't get the disease. So but, he should have had three rounds to beat up on him. Should before. have, but it didn't matter because it, you know it was a one use item and it was really cool to right. use. Yeah, and, right? and so it, and they they aid. blew they blew a one use item on the fight that was yeah, not the final it, fight. Now they don't have it at the end. Yeah, and I, I think for them that was their first Strahd fight, and they're mm-hmm. going to have probably two more. So I don't mind, and now I can have Strahd, and he's all diseased and disfigured, yeah, right, from this disease cool. that he's got. So it's going to be fun, but I don't think anybody enjoyed that fight, mm. and I certainly didn't, right? Because I just looked at my boss like lying on the ground, getting his just beat up. Yeah, and and I don't, I didn't get any like super, you know, shouts of excitement out of the players from that. They were just mm. like, well, let's just make sure to keep hitting them. <laughs> So, yeah. So, so the funny thing is, in almost every other 5e game, I kind of don't care because I don't mind if the bosses go down. Yeah. Again, like, Tiamat would be a bad one, right? Well, yeah. Um, no, I, I pulled a little bit of that as a player when we played uh, the, the Tiamat, uh, the, you know, yeah. the whole the whole campaign, right? And we got to the end, and I had the, what is it, the Amulet of Pure Good or whatever, um, which is one of those rare, wondrous things where you open up a, a rift to you know hell, and then your enemy sort of falls into it and does, takes a bunch of damage and comes back out, or doesn't. Depending oh yeah, on what they are right. The hurl into hell. Yeah. Is it hurl into hell, or is it something else for that one? It's something, but yeah, but um, but it, it ha- only has a certain number of uses, and I just sat on that thing waiting to the end, you know, uh, and you know, poor Andy. Um, but that's what I did. Like I blew all of the charges, uh, and the way he played it worked out pretty well because it wasn't. He's like, "You're not going to take out Tiamat mm-hmm. with, with that, right?" Um, but you know, I'll let you take out a head. <laughs> yeah, so, right. So, we had a guy. Right, so I was taking out Tiamat him. one so, head at a, yeah. one head per turn. I was taking out Tiamat. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and and my other trick for bosses, you always run them more than once. Like even Tiamat, I ran twice. Oh yeah. You know, they they fought baby Tiamat on our plane, and then they fought the real Tiamat in the Nine Hells. And that way I can see, like, what are you going to do when you fight Tiamat? Ah, so that's what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. The one successful boss fight I run was uh, back in the Pathfinder game. It was the Rise of the Rune Lords Adventure Path. And the advantage of that was the, the bad guy had, like, limited wish. So they almost got him killed, and he was just like, I wish I had full hit points. <laughs> which was you know, it's in the adventure it's a dick move and you, you the player's faces just go ah oh. and you could do something with that with Strahd right like you know quaffs a potion well, of heal so, yeah and Strahd the, yeah. Yeah. sorry go ahead and the well the other good thing about like vampires is the fact that you don't automatically kill them necessarily they go to mist in theory so yeah. you could just almost have like the uh, the killing Strahd is not defeating Strahd and you have to kind of like do the you defeat him in combat. And you have to like race across the the crypt to Castle Ravenloft yeah. 
before yeah. he gets his coffin and fighting through his waves of guys so you can like stake him in his crypt. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. the final blow, and that's almost the last boss fight, is making the jaunt across the, the dungeon in the while there's a countdown going on. Yeah. Yeah. And I definitely like the idea of like the first few times or the first couple of times you fight Strahd, it's like a good harrowing fight, and then the last fight you get to just beat the crap out of him. Mm-hmm. Right. Like that, that fight doesn't matter because it is like he's been now beat up multiple times. You know, he doesn't have all his friends with him. He can't get rid of the sunlight. You know, the, the other trick he has is his connection to the heart, which is easy to miss. Sure. Um, in the stat block that, you know, he has his set hit points, but then he also has the hit points of the crystalline heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's easy to forget. There you go. Anyway, sorry for taking so long. No, that's fine. It's good. Uh, real, really quick question. Um, last time you we we t- talked, uh, you had issues with what? What are we gonna? What are you gonna do with the like crazy primal vampire? You know? Oh yeah, progenitor? they fought him. They they just yeah. fought him and took him down. So, <laughs> it was actually pretty great. Like one of the most mem- memorable scenes is they they. So he was like butchering, um, butchering people outside of Argenvastholt, which are all the knights of the you know the, the knights of the Silver Dragon. Um, that uh, uh, are around Argenvast, Argenvastholt. And they, um, so they got there and he's standing there and he's like telekinetically pushing swords around and he's sucking blood out of people. And they fought him and he, he you know, he was by himself. Um, he did a lot of damage when he hit, but they had a lot of advantages on their side, particularly that he was by himself and right. he, he wasn't prepared for them and all this stuff. Um, so nobody really dropped. He did kill the uh, the general, the mother general who runs the Knights of the Silver Dragon on behalf mm-hmm. of the characters. But they resurrected her. Now she's got this big garish scar where her head had been torn from her body because right he he bit her so brutally that he she bit he bit her head right off. Yeah. Cool. And yeah, um, and the final blow was our ass kicking um, uh, battle master, uh, great weapon, power attacking guy who hit him for 140 points of damage in one round. Mm-hmm. 140 okay. points. And the, 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 the great thing is he stood there, and he's you know this ancient vampire, and he's slamming on him with a sword over and over again, just cutting him into pieces. <laughs> and then he stares up at the sky, and he says, I forget what his tagline was, but he's like, you know, is that dead enough for you? You know, <laughs> shouting. Because he knows Strahd's watching, right? Uh-huh. And then I had this cut scene where Strahd's watching, going, uh-oh. <laughs> like, we, we've got a real problem, you know, like... And that's when Strahd, I don't know if I mentioned, that's when Strahd did his negotiation, where uh-huh. the party showed up, and he said, I'll let you guys out of here. Yeah, yeah, I remember you, you know? talking about that. Yeah, yeah, he did that negotiation, and they said, nah, we're going to fight you. Oh, okay. And, and, they, you know, and now it's a, and it turned into a bloodbath, called the Bloody Brunch, because they were having brunch with him at the time. <laughs> so. Cool. So, uh, before we move on to David... Um, I don't know if you heard a recent episode of the Tome Show uh, about crowdfunded uh, projects. I, 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 I hadn't, I haven't listened to it yet. Oh. But I heard, I heard I was mentioned. <laughs> I, I, in fact, I, I, I spoke very highly. I think I said the the best crowdfunded thing I ever got was Aeon Wave. That is that is awesome. So More go. so than Fantastic Locations. Um, I haven't actually dug into Fantastic Locations at all yet. I don't <laughs> think I've even opened the zip file. So, oh, oh, you break my heart. Well, I'm a busy guy. I got a PhD to get. So, yeah. uh, but in that episode, we may have announced that the Tome Show is running a Patreon for anybody who wants to support the show. They can go over to Patreon.com/slash/TheTomeShow. Um, so people should totally do that. And some people have, and we want to give a shout out to our, some of our early patrons in this episode, including, uh, and I'm going to read their names as they're listed as patrons. So if that's not what you want to be called, sorry. Uh, Doug Palmer, Mark, Aaron Good, and Ben Longman. Thank you very much for supporting us on Patreon. You guys are awesome. So everybody else go out there, the patreon.com slash the tome show and support the show too. It's like you can subscribe to the show, uh, you know, throw a dollar at us a month or whatever and, and help us out with, with all the stuff we do. And you can get a shout out too. All right. Now it's on to David. David? Sorry, I'm just subscribing to a Patreon right now. One second. Oh, well, get right on there. <laughs> all right. And done. Uh, 
<laughs> okay, so I have two games coming up at the end of October. I have my 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons game, which is kind of fourth session or so. And I'm also planning a uh, Dread one-shot that's kind of based on Stranger Things. Mm. Big, very tangentially or not other than that it's, it's set in the 80s and draws inspiration from like stephen king and <laughs> so yeah so set in the that. 80s and drawing inspiration from stephen king is pretty much the shtick of stranger <laughs> things right so. yeah hence that yeah so it's like a breakfast club meets it right is what mm-hmm. i was thinking of and then there's so uh what do you want me to talk about which <laughs> what do you want to hear mike i i, I kind of want to hear about 5e just because i'm so into 5e all right so uh, to tell you about my, my world for the backstory, which is, of course, the Dungeon Master equivalent of let me tell you about my character. It's, let me tell you about my campaign setting. That's what we do here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I can get away with it. Uh, yeah, my campaign setting was the standard everything is great uh, fantasy world with the good kingdom of good that had a kind of apocalypse. And the entire world became tidally locked in that one half faces the sun and one half faces away from the sun constantly. So one half became this like giant burnt wasteland of deserts. Another one is this massive frozen glacier that where it's never light. And all the civilization is in the kind of the border between that, what used to be the equator, where it's kind of a twilight world where the sun kind of uh, rises enough and almost sets enough to the dark. And but in other than wise, it's just a generic fantasy setting. That's just the the little bit of extra flavor. And so my players were part of a caravan wagon that was in the kind of the desert area where it was perpetual day, where they were attacked by gnolls in the very first session. So I began by roll for initiative and then proceeded to kill everyone but the PCs by gnolls. And then the players decided, you know what, we were in charge of guarding this caravan. Let's take this this wagon back to its destination. And that's been the first uh, three sessions of this is slowly making the way across the desert, uh, trying to survive with limited water uh, and generally navigating. And I ended a kind of a cliffhanger where they reached the gates to this valley city state that is there there was their home, the destination for the wagon. And it's currently besieged by gnolls. So it's kind of, a, oh, we made it and we can't get in. There's gnolls <laughs> and dun, dun, dun. And that's where I ended it. And now I have to figure out where, where to go next. Mm. And I'm kind of leaving that up to them. Is the uh, They can kind of try to sneak past the knolls or kind of get into the south or goat trails. I was thinking about a possible mine. So I was going to give them as many options as possible and then let them pick it. And so I basically just kind of need kind of encounters, ideas for interesting things that they encounter en route that may or may not be used. So, so, can you give me the level again? These other... Uh, Level three right now. They're really low. Okay. I started at one. Yeah, I don't know. So far, I think like three to five is kind of my sweet spot from from my mm-hmm. in depth experience at five e at this point. But uh, I, I think Mike has discovered as you get higher level than than what five, they start to be yeah. more able to optimize and just take everything out quickly. Yeah. yeah right now they're squishy, so I don't know if throw too much at them. Right. But they're they're pretty well. They're pretty skilled and lucky. Right. It was at it was at level six that my my uh, campaign sorcerer was discovered. He was able to now throw two fireballs simultaneously in one round. <laughs> <laughs> at which point, it's like, oh, you've got all grouped together. Okay, well, let's just kill all of you now, and then we can focus on everybody else. Man. But yeah, anyway, so just encounter about, ideas. <laughs> yeah, just gonna what's what's something neat that they can uncover well, in so, like, the hills. Yeah, the the um and are and it's null null basement primarily. There's gnolls. They fought some. They just had a, had a really big session where they had a lot of goblins. So they're probably mm-hmm. goblined out. Yeah, I, I I love the gnolls' connection to demons. Mm. Um, you know, they have a very tight connection to demons and demon worship, and you know, kind of uh, gnoll gnoll camps or gnoll caves. Right. Small. You know, if you just are looking for a quick encounter, yeah. just like a gnoll witch doctor who's t- you know talking to a to a, a demonic entity of some sort or, or even pulling dretches out of a, a great big, you know, pit. Uh, you know, I always, gnolls are, gnolls I think are my favorite of the, the goblin kindy, you know, humanoid the low level monstrous humanoid types. Intensify. Yeah. I love gnolls. I just always love gnolls. And, and then that's one aspect that I always go for is like the, that more so than the other ones, uh, you know, gnolls are the ones that are the closest, have the closest ties to the abyss. Uh, mm-hmm. I think, um, so that, that might be fun. I don't know if you, uh, where but if, you're, but if they're going into a place with lots of gnolls, I don't, do you really want to 
get them all nulled out before. But that's true. If it, yeah. yeah, so if you're, if you're looking for encounters on the way, so they could run into the remnants of what the nulls have done. Hmm. Uh, again, like piles of dretches that have been sort of released from, you know, it's, a, it's an opportunity to introduce a villain through subtext, right? Like, yeah. They can they can see the results of the of, of a null you know demonic worshiping null witch doctor and the sacrifices that he's made and you know impaled people in a mm-hmm. in a ceremonial thing and then something else is there you know other and you can always throw like kind of other creatures that are drawn to the to the to the to the you know unholy nature of of what that that null has done um I don't know I always I always dig mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. Yeah, it's, it's always good to think of the the monsters that kind of are related, but not. Yeah, so right. demons. Yeah, summon yeah. demons are always good idea. Yeah, and and if you want to, like, yeah, there could even be sort of a demon that the gnolls have summoned and maybe forced on a mission of some sort, and the demon doesn't want to be doing. I guess it's more devils that do that than demons. The demon, demons just want to destroy. Yeah, the demons just like, oh, I have to do a mission. I just want to go rampage. That's that's yeah. kind of fun. Yeah. The wandering. No, I, was, demon. I was thinking like bearded devils, but that's a devil thing, and, and they yeah. don't worship devils. Yeah, hobgoblins maybe. Um, I don't know. Yeah, Jeff, what do you think? And you have um, you've you've been buying the the Watsi Adventures along the way. Yes. So I mean, a tra- traveling along the hills feels an awful lot like something that you could pull out of from both the the most recent um storm king's thunder or uh prince of the apocalypse right and and very easily just sort of steal their random encounter tables um and and that's true setting wise and whatever that'd be that would be really easy and then then if you run into weird things like you know giants or 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 you know or a cult of whatever then then you've just suddenly introduced a whole other you know, strange element to your world of what, what the heck are these things doing here? Um, I'm, I also happen to be, while we're sitting here, flipping through my copy of Fantastic Locations. Um, <laughs> I wasn't going to pitch it. <laughs> and you could very easily find a, a short, you know, little uh, location. You know, maybe, you know, maybe there's a, a spot where the, the gnolls have already ravaged this place and you they've bumped into the ruins and you could pull out one of Mike's wonderful, fantastic locations product, which looked beautiful, by the way, Mike. Thank you. You you opened the zip file. I finally, and that was the issue. I'm, I'm always on my iPad, and I can't open Yay. a zip file on my iPad, so I finally opened it, so it uploaded the Dropbox. So. Yay! So yeah, yeah. I was I was looking through Cobalt uh, Press's book of layers for anything that might be useful yeah. for that. Yeah. I didn't find anything. It's a great book, but I didn't find anything that just seemed to really jump out at me. Yeah, I still so haven't gotten, but... my, I haven't gotten mine downloaded yet. So <laughs> yeah, again, I'm, look at me. I'm falling behind. Um, oh. And and actually, you know, and another sort of. I mean, I always I always enjoy, and I think this is an underused an underused technique is kind of finding monsters that you think are interesting and just reading the text about them and then building a little adventure from that. Um, there's usually a lot there uh, that we don't often tap into to kind of come up with an interesting encounter. Uh, and and the uh, to pitch the Cobalt Press again, they're they're they're. Um, the new uh, bestiary book that they've got. Oh. No, what's Toma the Beast. Toma Beasts. Yeah, so Toma Beasts, especially if you've got experienced uh, players, uh, really fun to kind of pull some monsters out of there that they're like, what the hell is that? They've, they've already bought a couple of things from there, much to their chagrin. Right. It was the, uh, uh, my favorite encounter for that is the, because I can talk about my game now, ha <laughs> It's, they, I, I put them up against the Great Thurster, which is this desert, uh, basically desert zombie. Mm-hmm. And it has this aura of dehydration that makes you feel kind of exhausted. And exhausted is just a, like a bitch of a condition to throw up. Oh, yeah. And it was just a glorious thing to get them in there. And uh, so I, ro- I rolled randomly where it was going to appear, and it charged right at the one PC that was alone by their wagon, dehydrated him, and evaporated all their stored water at the same time. <laughs> which I just thought glorious yeah. and horrific to them. Yeah, no, the yeah. Tome of Beast, the timing of that couldn't have been oh. more perfect for me, too. I like, I, it, I literally downloaded it the same week that I was thinking, I desperately need some sort of automatons and clockwork yeah, creatures. Yeah, I, you know? I did, too. Yeah, I had the Amber Temple was full of those guys. Yeah. And, uh, oh, it was fantastic. Yeah. I have two monsters in it, so I, I'm, it's, it's a product yeah, you uh, two, near huh? and dear to my heart. Which ones are yours? Uh, the Chronomental and the uh, Fearsmith. Very nice. Yeah, I, I like the weird time things that were going on. There was the the Chronomental, and then um, the Void Dragon isn't quite uh, 
time based, but it was another weird one like that that I really liked. So cool. Those are just those anyway. are just creatures that it's like I'm going to introduce these to just really mess with my characters' heads, right? <laughs> so, uh, so, uh, so just to throw an idea out there, so the PCs are walking through a, a mountain glen and kind of crest a hill and look mm-hmm. into a small valley, and in the valley they see blank, this kind of an odd kind of throughout some kind of a, oh, a ruined temple. Terrain. Ruined temple. I love old ruined temples covered in ivy for. 400 years uh no it's not a ruined temple it's a uh it's a ancient um long crazy treant that was by the way the worst improv ever (laughs) Uh, no no but (laughs) no it was pretty it's a it's a great idea because i'm I, i don't know Personally, first of all, Mr. A Ruined Temple, because we haven't seen a million of those before. I love them. We're <laughs> seeing the same ruined, thing for uh, 30 years. A ruined druidic temple built around yes. kind of a yeah, petrified no. treant. How about a dead, petrified, a dead petrified treant that is now a ruined temple? Oh, that could be good, too. <laughs> and and maybe, carved, deep, maybe, the big deep inside, maybe deep inside there, there's a sapling of a new treant. Yeah, or it's an evil temple that was carved into the heart of a dead treant. Uh, there you go. <laughs> Yeah, no, I've, I'm I'm reading up uh, on Storm King's Thunder, getting ready for our deep dive review, and uh, uh, there's a one of the more interesting sort of NPCs in there is, is the awakened tree and treant sort of thing going on there that I think is cool. So that's why I thought of that. So if you think my idea is lame, then you go talk to you know <laughs> Mr. Tolkien and the the writers of Storm King's Thunder about that. Tolkien had ancient ruins in his. Stuff. Yeah, how many times did they go and, and look at hang, hang out in, in ruined temples? Well, the whole it seemed like half the first movie was set in one. Barrowites, the halls of the dead, which are just all mm. the skulls. No, that, no skeletons. Just Bar- skulls. Barrowites wasn't a temple. Skulls. Where are the rest of the bones? Yeah, there's a whole other temple full of femurs. <laughs> full there's of the hall of femurs. Yeah, there's hip bones. <laughs> Further south, come to to the hall of clavicles. <laughs> Over here we have flanges. <laughs> uh, shrine of pelvises. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. It's Mike's there temple you go. of ruined pelvis. Temple, right. Filled with pelvis bones. Like, what the hell? This is creepy. That'll creep people out. No, like, I yeah. like the idea of the temple where every room has a different type of bone in it. And you I get to like pull out your... pelvises. And everyone's like, what the hell is this? <laughs> How many people did they well, slaughter to get enough pelvises to do this? About, yeah, right. Right. So, the two NPCs, there's going to be the Griner NPC and the Shea NPC. Oh. Who is Griner, the NPC? You mean besides my my ancient crazy yes. treant? Oh. Yes. Give me ideas. Is it? Are we talking in the same scenario or just random NPCs? Yeah, random. They meet someone on the road and it is Griner, the blank. Oh, it's, a, it's totally a bard who is um, half-elven and can't carry a tune. Like, really wants to be a, a, a wonderful singer, but just cannot carry a tune. And so whenever he's performing a commonly known song, like, it's got a completely different sound to it. And people are confused about what the hell's going on, because that's not how that song goes. Okay. So there it is. And on the road, Shay is? An orc mercenary. His clan was destroyed by by uh, a group, and he's been uh, taking money to murder people. And as and mercenaries yet, do. And, as mercenaries do, and yet his um, his goals somehow align with the goals of the characters. So while they might end up fighting him and his and his uh, brigands that he's got with him, they might instead negotiate with him on how to serve it, serve the same purpose. I think I can work with that. All right. There you go. Bring, ideas are springing forth, yes. <laughs> How much All time right. do I have left? You've got 55 seconds left if you needed any more ideas. <laughs> <laughs> I could talk about my Dredga, Stranger Dead, sure, for all yeah. of a minute. All right. So 46 the, uh, seconds, but yeah. Yeah, so the, the, the really quick hook is that it's you know Breakfast Club and that it's a bunch of high schoolers. That are kind of uh, serving, kind of well, not to wipe the tension. They're they're taking shelter from a hurricane in uh, the, the high school, local high school. And while they're there, something horrible is happening in the school. And then, well, they they haven't met before, 
And yet, the more they hang around, the more they realize they were together as kids, uh, taking shelter during the like the great uh, the great blizzard of '78 in that same school at the same time. But something happened, and it repressed their memories, mm. which is bringing in the it thing. So I'll be the alternating between the two time periods as they uncover what happened in the past and uncovered what's happening in the present with some um. sort of you know upside down beast. With the oh, there he is. Yeah. <laughs> Where's the upside down? Yeah. <laughs> if I could go on for just one second. Yeah, you're fine. Yeah, Everybody, and literally all of us twist. have gone over, so go ahead. Yeah. It's more yeah. of a guideline. Yeah. yeah. It's I, I do have like this a twist that I was really proud of, where that the the twist is that in the Stranger Things the creature can move sideways between dimensions. Mm-hmm. In mine, the creature will be able to move between time, and so it's not that they were forgot what was happening in the past. It's that the creature is changing the past. And so both events are happening simultaneously with the same beast. Oh, and so they can change the present by changing the past. That's cool. Huh. Which they might realize only halfway through when something horrible happens to one of their characters and it changes the present. And oh my god, Billy has a scar now. Uh-huh. Oh, neat. So that's my, my hook the, for the stranger. And then the, the final how do you beat the thing can be you have to yeah. defeat it in both timelines simultaneously. Yeah. So I'm thinking about doing something fun with the uh, the Dread Bricks, which is uh, if anyone who's listening isn't familiar with Dread, it's uh, it's a role playing game where you play with a Jenga tower, and to succeed in action, mm, you pull right. a brick in, pull a brick from the bottom, and you put it on the top. And so I'm thinking about marking the bricks, putting like a little sticker on some of them. So when you pull a, a, a sticker brick, that triggers a, a transition from the past to the present. So to to switch to the past, you'll have to draw a brick, which might you know cause problems. So. Mm-hmm. So that's my that's my dread game. That's cool. Awesome. And and maybe next time Sam can't make it, uh, we'll get to hear more about what how that all played out. So there we are. That is three DMs. We talked about our games, and I think we're done for now. Right? Sounds good. All right. If people want to get a hold of us, you can email me at thetomeshow at gmail and I will pass it on to whoever needs it. You can support us by shopping on Amazon through our Amazon affiliate links or shopping on the DMs Guild through those links or going over to patreon.com slash the Tome Show and, and subscribing and, and supporting us there on a, on a monthly basis. So um, that's where we are. That's how you find us. And that's us. I think we're done. Say goodbye, guys. Goodbye. Bye.